Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond, and today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. This is episode number 429 with Brian Scudamore of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Go, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Thirty-three years ago, today's guest was sitting in a McDonald's drive-through when he saw his future. A beat-up pickup truck filled with junk. Scudamore started a junk-hauling business to pay for college, but what was supposed to fund his education ended up inspiring him to actually drop out. Today, Scudamore's transformed his junk-hauling side hustle, 1-800-GOT-JUNK, into a North American franchise business worth more than $600 million. Today, we're going to go deep on what it takes to build and scale a franchise of this size. Please welcome to the podcast, Brian Scudamore. 
Hey, Founder Fam, before we jump into today's conversation, I'd love to take a minute to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Sales Master AI. When iOS 14 hit, a lot of us didn't really know how to respond. And at Founder, part of our response has been turning to trusted experts like SMAI to lead the way forward. SMAI has really helped us drive the performance of our cost per acquisition to really acquire customers on Facebook. So do you want your ads to work better? Then if so, salesmaster.ai can help your business engage more buyers automatically using AI that places your ads in real time in front of audiences most likely to convert. So you can really increase the performance post iOS 15 and take the guesswork out of growth. Head to the link in our show notes to learn more now. Okay, now on to today's episode. Brian, second time back. Uh, the first question I ask everyone is uh, how did they get their job? Okay, how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Well, I was in a McDonald's drive through of all places looking for um, my future. What was my next step going to college? I never finished high school and I was one course short of graduation. And I talked to myself into university, actually, and I had to find a way to pay for it. And that day in the McDonald's drive through I, I said, oh, there's my ticket. There was a beat up old pickup truck, plywood side panels built up in the box, filled with junk. And I looked at the truck and I'm like, that is my, my idea. I'm going to buy a truck, haul junk, pay for school. The company was started as the Rubbish Boys. And this was 33 years ago. So people say these overnight success stories sure take a long time. And they are right. Uh, 33 years. It took eight years to get to a million in revenue. And today we'll do a million in revenue in a morning, which is very exciting. So uh, lots of great growth and learning over the years. What funded my, my uh, college education inspired me to drop out. I was simply learning much more about business by studying or by, by doing versus studying in school and made the tough decision to leave uni. When did it become 1-800-JUNK? Yeah, it became 1-800-GOT-JUNK about 10 years after starting the business. I knew that the word, the rubbish boys, the name was very Canadian in style. It probably would have worked in Australia, but in the United States, where we knew was a big market we wanted to expand to with 10 times the population of Canada where I started, we had to rebrand and change the name. And so I said, okay. Um, there was an advertising campaign back in the uh, 80s and 90s for the dairy board of the United States called Got Milk. And I was inspired to create Got Junk, 1-800-GOT-JUNK with a big question mark at the end and tried to find the phone number. It was uh, uh, chasing a needle in a haystack trying to find the owner of this phone number. And it turns out it was a government agency in Idaho who owned the phone number. And um, I begged and pleaded and said, I need this number. How do I get it? They didn't even sell it to me. They gave it to me. Really? And we became 1-800-GOT-JUNK after 59 phone calls trying to figure out who owned the number, how I could get it. I got that 60th phone call, which was a yes, you can have it. It's yours. And I signed the paperwork and here we are today. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting idea to to call one of your brands basically how to contact you i think it's very clever um mm -hmm. what what happened when you changed the name did 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 it just like take off because like did did inquiries take off because of that or 
Yeah, actually, Nathan, it's funny, quite the opposite. They started to really decline, and I didn't expect this. So here we land this great new phone number. We create a logo and a brand around it. It was the website, 1-800-GOT-JUNK.COM. It was the phone number. It was the question begged, do you have junk? And here's who you need to call. So you would think it would be a brilliant marketing move. Well, at the time, people saw our business as the rubbish boys. Some saw it as 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And as we started to rebrand our vehicles, I would even get friends and family to say, there's a competitor. They look just like you, but they have a different phone number. And it caused confusion. So we literally dropped our revenue over a course of a year, fell by 25%, then 30, 40. We were way, way down because of the confusion. And it took some belief and some patience to say, hold on, this is going to be, this is going to work out. But what had to happen was as an entrepreneur, I needed to make the tough decision to go all in, all in one direction. Are, are we the rubbish boys or are we 1-800-GOT-JUNK? And so we went with 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We got rid of all our other marketing material, got rubbish boys off the trucks, and we went all in and it, it thankfully worked. So it's that scary point as an entrepreneur when you're like, wow, did we make the wrong decision? Or is it really just having patience to wait it out? And it was the latter was the answer. How long did it take to turn things around? Did you have to do anything else? It was the rebrand and going all in. But at the same time, what compounded the challenges was my focus changed from running a corporate operation to trying to get into the franchise business. Taking the model that I built up to a million dollars with the Rubbish Boys, how do I then get this out in a very systematized cookie cutter way out to other franchise owners who would want to partner with us and build their own junk removal or rubbish removal businesses. And people just didn't buy into the concept because the feeling was, why wouldn't I just go out and get my own pickup truck? Why do I need a national brand? So it took us time to convince people and show people and for us to even understand why a national brand made sense and what we would provide to a franchise owner that would help them be more successful. So I went to a bunch of franchise experts, people that had been part of McDonald's and other great brands. And I said, what do you think of this idea? And people said, I don't think it can be done. I don't think you can franchise junk removal. And I asked every one of these experts, why not? And I took their feedback and instead of feeling deflated, I was a little deflated, but I took it and I said, how do I retool this? And I got out there and I said, okay, well, a national brand needs to look and feel like a national brand. We need newer trucks. We need to be uniformed, friendly uniform drivers. We needed to have a call center where we could do all the booking and dispatch for our franchise owners so that they could focus on driving sales, building out the business versus working in it. Uh, in the same degree, answering the phones and, and running the administrative side. And when I retooled the model and went back out to our franchise uh, advisors, they said, okay, I think you've got something. And so what was said as, and there's a sign over my right shoulder, Walt Disney quote, it's kind of fun to do the impossible. People told us it was impossible. And today we've built a $600 million business in and a business that would have been impossible to franchise. And we've since parlayed that into other brands, other home services that we've also franchised, which have equally as large potential. We have Wow One Day Painting, where we paint people's homes in a day. 
same quality, just in a different time frame. And then we've got Shack Shine, which is windows, gutters, power washing, and Christmas lights, house detailing. People love it. And so we've proven some impossibilities, and that's been one of the challenges I've loved as an entrepreneur. So I want to talk about OTE brands and that that kind of family that you've you've started to build and been building for some time. Um, for anybody watching this that has a model, like a local service-based business that, that they may be looking to franchise, how long did it take you to wait to look into that? You said it took you eight years, eight years to get to eight one million. Eight years to get to a million. Yeah. And we'll do a million in the morning today. Yeah. So it, it's that revenue, that time to ramp up was long. But to franchise the business, it was 10 years before I started looking at franchising. And that was that hockey stick of like growth just started to really take off once we got incredible franchise owners and had helped them be successful. And that attracted more franchise owners. Now, the, the tricky part was creating all the systems and the processes. There's two kinds of entrepreneurs out there, I think, in terms of models. And I talk about this in my new book, BYOB, Build Your Own Business, Be Your Own Boss. And in that book, I talk about these two paths. Do you want to be an entrepreneur that blank sheets something? They start with a blank sheet and create a model or create a better mousetrap from scratch, like I did, like you did. Or do you want to be an entrepreneur that takes a proven recipe, a formula, and says, I want to ramp this up even faster based on someone else's success? So franchising for us was how do we create that first prototype? And Paul, uh, Paul Guy in Toronto, our first franchise owner, he worked with me for a couple of years in Vancouver in my operation. He then drove a truck across the country and he gets to Toronto and starts this business. He did a million dollars in his first full calendar year. It took me again, eight years. He did it faster because he said, I don't need to be the guy building the race car. I want to be the guy driving the race car. I want to execute on an already existing proven plan. And so franchising is an interesting model. It wouldn't be for everybody. I would not have become a franchise owner because I need to make mistakes and start from scratch and create. But some people want a formula to say, great, let me follow that. And let me cookie cutter this into other cities. Paul Guy today, by the way, has over $100 million in annual revenue. And that's because he's built so many franchises in other markets with other people he's partnered with. And it's been exceptional. Wow, that's interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm curious around your COO or then COO Cameron Herald, when did you bring him on? Because uh, he really helped you operationalize the business. Because um, And I'd love to talk more about these two pathways. Because when you're, if you choose the pathway to create your own better mousetrap. Um, usually you have to be quite entrepreneurial, but then you need to partner with a great operator. I'd love to hear your experiences there and in the timeline when that happened and what happened off the back of that, because I think there's some great lessons there. So Cameron Harold and I, while we parted ways, uh, we've remained great friends. I was the best man in his wedding and you know, real tight friendship. He joined us at 2 million in revenue and helped us get to 106 million in revenue. Now, entrepreneurs, I think, have a hard time letting, letting go of control, especially ones that have blank sheeted it and started from scratch. 
we have a hard time because we created this model. We created our baby and to be able to let go and think that someone else can do it better is hard. But I realized as we were beyond that million dollar mark, I couldn't scale it. I couldn't take it to the next level. I couldn't scale me. So I had to bring someone else in and someone who could execute and build the systems and to really take the the vision from my brain and help to execute and push it out there. And that's what Cameron did. Now, Cameron is unique. The reason why Cameron is no longer a part of our business, and he would say the same thing, is we are both very fire ready aim types. So we just sit there and go, let's go. You got an idea, boom, let's make it happen. We were both very entrepreneurial. And while he had great leadership and was able to execute, I think we moved too fast on a lot of things. Now, could we have done it without Cameron? Absolutely not. We needed Cameron for those first 100 million. But the person to take it from 100 million to 600 to a billion needed to be a different person. And that was Eric Church, who's been with us for almost 11 years, where he differs from Cameron and I very planful, very rigorous, very disciplined. When I would say to Cameron, I got a great idea, Cameron would be like, let's go. When I say to Eric, I've got a great idea, he goes, hmm, tell me more. And I'm like, what do you think? And he's like, we should maybe put that on the list or let's park that for six months or a year or forever. So there's a different level of it. It's, you know, the analogy might be a good one is a, a motorboat. You take a little motorboat, one person can steer that really quickly and turn all over the lake. But if you've got a big ship, it isn't one person. You're planning, you're figuring out where you're going to go to next, what obstacles might be in your way, how to direct the people to make those moves. It's just a different um, animal. And uh, I still love what I do every single day, but my role has become much more focused on vision where Eric is the implementer, the executor of everything we're trying to accomplish with all three brands. So what advice would you say uh, to anyone watching when to bring on a solid right hand or operator if you are a solo founder? I mean, from my experience looking at three brands, because we did have a founder of one Wow One Day Painting, we did have a founder of Shack Shine, and we replaced the founder with a more seasoned professional leader in both those brands. I would say the million-ish dollar mark has been about right for us. And what it is, is you're taking someone who can be that executor of the vision. There's a book called Rocket Fuel, and Rocket Fuel talks about the visionary and the implementer. Most entrepreneurs are visionary. I would guess, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I would guess that you are a visionary entrepreneur more than you are an implementer. Again, maybe I'm wrong. But most entrepreneurs are that way, and they need more of a hired gun, a seasoned professional who can come in and help balance and provide that discipline. So to me, once you get over the million-dollar mark and you start getting a dozen-plus employees and you just realize you can't manage the execution of the ideas, you, you need someone else to help. Now, from a million to 100 million, you just keep on letting go of more things And that's hard for entrepreneurs. That's been hard for me. I've let go of almost everything in the business. Sometimes I walk in the front door to the junction or office and I'm like, I didn't even know these things are happening. Um, I met Reed Hastings, who's the founder, co-founder of Netflix. 
I met him at a TED conference a few years ago and I asked him a question and I said, you know, what's, what's surprised you in your, your last few years as an entrepreneur and, and, and in your growth journey? And he said, just the stuff that happens that you just are never aware of. And I said, like what? And he said, we had expanded to China before I knew about it. And I'm just like, man, how does that happen? But you have to trust your team and your people and let go that that much as things grow, because otherwise you become a bottleneck to every single thing in your business. And we try and teach our franchise partners in the first couple of years to do the same thing, get off the tools, get out of the trucks. If you're running Shack Shine and you're on the power washer, you're not doing anyone a service. You might like power washing, but get off the tools so you can start to grow and scale a business. Yeah, I love it. That was a great story. Um, so what compelled you to write your new book? When does it come out? And you said you you said yeah you had you had some time during COVID, but what compelled you to write it? Yeah, it's funny. So I wrote the first book, WTF, Willing to Fail. Yep. And my co-author Roy H. Williams, who's known as the the Wizard of Ads, he's written all our creative for years and years in terms of our radio ads. And he's a genius. He's been a great friend and mentor and so on. He used to say to me every single year when I'd visit him in Austin, Texas, Brian, you got to write a book. Brian, you got to write a book. After many years, I said to Roy, listen, I I just don't want to write a book. My ego as an entrepreneur doesn't need one. Many entrepreneurs want to check that box. Okay, I'm now an entrepreneur and an author. I didn't need that. And Roy said, you're missing the point. It's not about you. It's not about your ego. It's about the stories you can share with others that will make an impact to them. I said, okay, tell me more. He said, we're going to make it easy. We're going to interview you story after story after story for hours. And it took 10 hours to get the initial uh, draft of the first part of the book. And I realized, I'm like, okay, when when I realized it wasn't about me and it was helping others, I said to Roy, you really think we've got some good stories to tell? We sold uh, 60,000 WTF books. It's made an impact. I get testimonials and emails and people telling me about what they've learned from the book. That was enough to make me go, okay, I'll write the second book. And WTF was about our failures and our learnings to get to the next level, but it was still very much centered around the founder's story and our team and what we went through and lots of learning. And this time around, it was okay. Roy said, we've got to write a new book and it's got to be about how others can take the journey or start the journey that you've been on. And that journey being one of two paths. Do you want to start a business from scratch and blank sheet it? Do you want to start a franchise and build on a proven recipe? Or do you want to do nothing? Do you want to give up on the dream? They say 66% of North Americans anyways, um, dream of running their own business, but so few actually take the leap. I want to inspire people to take the leap if that's really the dream that they want to follow. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. 
you should come and check out our new podcast from zero to founder hosted by our community manager molly flynn these are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs people just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business these are the founders of tomorrow You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. What can people learn when it comes to the three different pathways? Like what can you share with us even just a few lessons on on, or give us a bit of a teaser? Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, this isn't from the book, but it's an analogy that I think resonates with people that they get. I would look at yourself and your personality as someone reading the book. The the goal is it's a 90-minute read, and I want someone at the end, I I call it BYOB, which could mean bring your own beer, but it's build your own business, be your own boss. I talk in the beginning of the book, grab a beverage, whatever it is, a a latte, a, a cold one, whatever it is, and sit down as you read the book and just think about yourself and what path you want to take. And the analogy I would give is, Look at yourself and ask what your personality is. Are you a creator from scratch or do you like to follow a formula? So if someone likes to bake or cook, I love to cook. I do not follow recipes. I search a recipe up for inspiration and then I mess with it and I do it my own way. I like the Italian style of cooking where you don't use measuring cups and measuring spoons. You just a little bit of this, a little bit of that, taste it, see what you think. I enjoy the process of creating from nothing and seeing what I can build. Somebody who wants to bake a cake and get it right the first time or the second time, they go to Google, they search up a recipe, they follow it like a science, and they have success. So what personality are you? Again, if I go even to the, I talk about this in the book, actually, Lego. Can you imagine if Lego just sold the blocks in clear poly packages? Would they be as big as they are today? No, of course not. Not even close. They sell the plans of what the dream will look like if you follow the instructions. With the franchise, you follow the instructions, you help make the instructions better over time, you end up with a great product. Um, I was the kid that wanted to build the Lego from nothing. I I didn't want the instructions. I wanted to do it my own way. So it's about personality. Someone I met who's interesting, who surprised me, I'm having dinner with him next month, Shaquille O'Neal, who NBA superstar, how many championship winning teams? I mean, the guy's just an unbelievable, amazing person. He came to speak at our kickoff, our annual conference uh, during COVID, actually virtually. And uh, I got to know him a bit. We talked offline uh, after the conference. And the thing that I learned about Shaq that really surprised me, he's a big franchise owner, owns a ton of franchises. And what Shaq said to me, I said, why did you pick franchising? He said, well, I had to do something after basketball. And I wanted to apply everything that I was good at. Leadership, building winning teams, vision of how to, what the goals look like. He said, I could take someone else's proven recipe, plug in a bunch of people, lead, cheerlead, and off we go to win. The winning goal is clear. He said it was a perfect fit. And the guy today has, you know, a half a billion dollars in wealth. Yes, from multiple sources, not just franchising, but he's built franchising empires because he understood, I don't need to create the race car. I just want to drive it. And uh, I talk about Shaq in the book, but that just blew my mind that somebody that really understood clearly 
what he loves about business and the similarities to playing the game and what and how he could do things differently. And uh, he's had huge success. Yeah, this is really interesting. Um, Shaq's actually coming to Melbourne. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, 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 so we, we actually, we were looking at maybe doing something, but I don't know where it's going to go. But um, so we looked into him and yeah, he has heaps of different businesses. And he was like an early investor in Google and all, all sorts of things. But I find it fascinating what you're talking about. Like when it comes to franchises, yeah, they are proven models. They are businesses in a box. But I find that the media and the people that we kind of have this kind of, I guess, aspiration to look up to are the the Elon Musk of the world. You want to create something, you know, you want to do the impossible, right? Um, and yeah, it, people don't talk about being a business owner by yeah, running franchises. Um, so it's a really interesting take. Why do you, like, is that, does that make it difficult? And has it been difficult for you guys to attract a lot of franchisees? I think it's, it, it's a challenge to find enough of the most awesome people you can find. You know, like I take the Paul guys of the world and we have so many great franchise owners that we just love and adore. But finding people who know themselves and what they want is is the key and i think that back to the basketball analogy you know you've got a player you've got a coach you've got someone who's a coach not because they're they're not as good at the sport but maybe because they just love coaching and watching others grow and so i think the same kind of thing in business is understand where your potential is and what you want from it and what you can give to it so a challenge to find people, but it's probably because we're so selective and careful in who we put into franchise ownership. It's a, We call them franchise partners. And that was a name change that I made right at the beginning of franchising. They were known as franchisees. And I said, listen, they're franchise partners. We depend on their success. If they win, we win. And they depend on us. If our brand doesn't grow and 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 have a footprint nationally and internationally, you know, they don't win. So we depend on each other and it's a partnership. It's finding those right people, treating them right and giving them an opportunity that we know over time can get better as long as we listen to their input. How do we tweak things? How do we just make this winning team even uh, even better? And when you talked about your annual conference, is that for your franchisees that you hold every year? It is, it is. And so we'll get, you know, about a thousand people and they come together across our three brands and you'll get the Shack Shine franchise partners talking to the Wow One Day partners or 1-800-GOT-JUNK sharing best practices on marketing, finding people, labor challenges, whatever the topic is. We'll get great speakers to come out to help inspire. But it's the thing I love most about franchising is everyone is in the same business but they're not competing with each other because they have their own exclusive territories. The Las Vegas person is not completing, competing with the Boston person, but they can share very openly their books, what's worked, what hasn't, and they help each other get better. So if I look at Wow One Day Painting as an example, um, our franchise owners run their business like they're part of a family and they go into each other's businesses and provide feedback. 
It's like a personal board of advisors that you get to come in and go rip my business apart. Tell me what I could do better. Help me improve everything I'm doing and share what's working in your business. How many industries or, or businesses get that opportunity to get such direct, honest feedback um, from someone in the same space? Yeah. And um, you said something interesting around kind of you guys handle some of the back end operations. So do you provide leads and you, you know, like you said, with 1-800-GOT-JUNK, you, you, you handle inquiries, you do like, is, is that for all of these, these three brands? We do. So we have sales centers, call centers for all three brands. We do the booking and dispatch. So you can imagine if we have 150 franchise owners and 1-800-GOT-JUNK as we do, if they are out there each running their own call center, it's going to look and feel quite different. But if we run one and all the calls filter through for 1-800-GOT-JUNK to one central center, we can do the booking and dispatch and customer experience in a very, very consistent way. And it takes that job off of the franchise partner's shoulders. They can get out there on their own and drive sales, build a team, build a fleet, buy more franchises, expand in other territories. And, uh, and I think that's where the magic happens. They really get to be uh, a focused entrepreneur in an area where they excel. So one of the things we look for is great salespeople, great operational people. Um, we're looking for people that want to get in there and just crank it up right away. And entrepreneurs want to create it and change it and build it. And it's just, you know, we, we go through ups and downs, but as entrepreneurs, I think that's one of the things we love. We get to do this and there's all sorts of different challenges, but you want a franchise partner to come in and go, I'm so good at this and I want the coaching and I just want to fire on all cylinders all the time. Yeah. And can we talk around some of the numbers, if that's okay? Of course. So uh, if you you know, have a 1-800-GOT-JUNK franchise, what is uh, the franchise fee? Because would it be higher because you guys take care of a lot of the operational stuff? Or like, yeah, what like I'd love to hear. What we do is a franchise fee is typically, I mean, we're, we're sold out for 1-800-GOT-JUNK. But I'll talk about Shack, Shine, and Wow One Day for a second. We've been sold out of 1-800-GOT-JUNK for years. Shack, Shine, and Wow One Day, someone pays a $20,000 deposit towards a franchise fee. And a franchise fee, depending how many territories they buy, they might buy two, three, or four, and they're $20,000 a piece. Someone pays $20,000 and they finance the rest over a year, two, three, four, and five of their business. We don't charge interest. We want people to put the capital into their business. Um, they pay us a royalty and that's how we make our money. So it's generally an 8% royalty uh, across the businesses. And that's how we run our head office. That's how we run a lot of what we do to grow and support our owners. And a franchise owner should make, depending on the business and their life cycle in the business, 18 to 22% is what they would make with 1-800-GOT-JUNK over the years. And that's what we focus people on. That's, that's winning. How do we help them increase their profitability, increase their revenue growth? And um, yeah, well, it's formulaic. It, it takes the work, takes the effort. And the, the creativity that franchise partners do want, they're able to share with us, have you thought of that, this idea? You know, how do we make things better? And uh, like McDonald's, most of our 
best ideas come from our franchise owners. And how often are you updating the, that kind of blueprint? I used to work at McDonald's and yeah, like you, they, they have a blueprint. It changed over time. Um, you know, you used to create the, the meat uh, like by hand, but, and then always on the spot, but then, then they moved to storing it and all these, like how often are you guys updating the documentation and, and how you run things? Well, it's very dynamic. I mean, in a digital world, as you know, almost like a Wikipedia, it's updated constantly. So it's not, you know, it was 15 years ago, it was a printed binder and you give it to someone when they start the business and then you'd have to print new pages and send them over. And now it's all digital. So people just access in real time, the real best practice for doing X, Y, Z. And do you have many company-owned uh, franchises? And how many company-owned did you have to get to before you decided, decided to franchise? So company-owned, we had one before we franchised. It was my franchise. It became the prototype to test everything. It was the test kitchen, and off we went. And I ended up selling it down the road because I decided we need to make a decision. Are we in the franchise business or the franchisor business? And we focused on being a franchisor and sold off the corporate location. Now, since then, and this was maybe three, four years ago, we started buying some of our 1-800-GOT-JUNK franchises and buying back the ones that people wanted to leave. And not because they weren't making money, but they wanted to leave because, hey, you know, I'm, I'm ready to retire. I've done this for 15, 20 years and I'm done. And so we created our own market where we could buy these back. The franchise partner wins because they've done really well financially. And we go... And we've put together almost our own private equity fund. You know, you could say it's our private equity that's gone in to buy back some franchises. And what they do is we've got a managing director who runs it just like Paul Guy in Toronto runs a bunch of franchises. We've got our own hire who's running this group of, I think we own eight right now. And they're doing exceptionally well, which is great. So we're back in the corporate business, but where we're where we're doing things differently is there's somebody running it who has got equity in it, who's basically like a franchise owner, but we control it in a different way. And I suppose that then they can be your test cases as well. Yeah, it's a bit of a test kitchen of some new ideas. Um, you know, it's an easier place for us when we want to try something new to just say to the team, we're going to do this. Whereas when you try and sell an idea to a franchise owner, it, it, it can be a little more, ah, I'm not ready to try that. I don't want to. It's too expensive. Um, so no, you're right. It is, it's becoming a bit of a test kitchen as well. And um, it's the balance of still running it with all the systems, lead, leading the charge in the same way that we'd expect our franchise partners. We're under tighter scrutiny because they know we own it. And it's like, well, if you guys can't make that work, but it's, it's an extra high level of standard that we really have to show our franchise owners that we can succeed uh, in many ways better than some of them can. I mean, we're taking these franchises back, uh, buying them back, and we're seeing quick growth out of the gates. And a lot of it is someone who was running the Austin franchise was just tired. They did a good job, but not living up to its potential or not firing up the growth. And then we buy it, we put in our own people, uh, sometimes the same people, but coach them differently and things grow dramatically, which is, it's been fascinating actually. 
So what's next? Like 33 years, that's a long time. Uh, you guys planning to IPO? Like what, what is, uh, what, what's next? What's the vision? I'm still having so much fun. So we get private equity approaches all the time from someone going, oh, you should go public or we'll, we'll buy a PCU and this and that. And it's just not of interest because we've got such a great team and we're having so much fun. The pandemic, thankfully, was really great to us. Our revenue was at record levels and continues to grow. Um, with the three brands, the goal is to get each one of them to a billion dollars. So we've got a lot of runway there before we, you know, 1-800-GOT-JUNK is at 600 million and the other two brands are, you know, below 100 million right now. So we've got a lot of work to do and it's, it's, it's just awesome. I mean, it's one of those things where I've got three kids. And if someone said to me, would you ever sell off one of your kids? Of course not, right? On most days. And so it's the same with the businesses. Like I just see too much potential and I love them and I'm having fun with them. And uh, why sell it to someone else to, to take it to the next level when we know that we, we can get it there? And it's also, you know, I, I, I've been lucky that I've worked hard over 33 years and I've got the money that I need and I'm not a big money motivated person. So I look at this and I'm like, this is what drives me every day, working with amazing people. And one day we'll have more brands. So we're not ready for it yet. Like we're, we're busy with the three, but one day we'll have brand number four, brand number five, other home services that we can help take from fragmented to nationally branded success stories. It's been great. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, look, we'll work towards wrapping up. This was a really great conversation, ton of fun. Um, a lot of fun. So where's the best place people can find out more about BYOB? Uh, and then also, was there any questions that I didn't ask you that you wanted me to ask you that you wanted to talk about? I think we, we've had great chat. I mean, you've covered a lot of great stuff. So thank you. I think we've, we've covered uh, the good stuff. Um, I think, you know, in terms of BYOB, if someone wants to read the book, one of the things we tried to do was just make it accessible and affordable. The Kindle's 99 cents. We lose money on it, but I want to know that people are reading it and downloading it. If they want the hard copy, copy, go ahead and buy it off of Amazon. But people can find the book on Amazon, biggest bookstore in the world. They can follow any of our social media. Just put Brian Scudamore into Google and you'll find me. And uh, I love inspiring entrepreneurship. So if someone gets something out of that book, um, I'd love to hear about it. Send me a note on social and let me know what you think of the book. And I'm definitely getting early day, really, really good, solid feedback from it. So it's been exciting. Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Brian. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Nathan. I wish you all the best. Always good to connect. Thank you for having me back. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.